Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we are going to begin reading at verse 36. This is still Resurrection Sunday. This is still that Lord's Day, that first Lord's Day. We are now in the evening of that. We've been dealing with, for those of you who are visiting uh, since Resurrection Day, uh, the conversations that Jesus has. We've, uh, before uh, Good Friday, we were looking at the conversations around the cross. Now we're listening in on the conversations after the resurrection. We had that wonderful conversation between Jesus and Mary that takes place. And that morning, Dr. Tim uh, led you in the first part of Luke chapter 24 with uh, the conversation between Jesus and the two men on the way to Emmaus. They now have returned. They've come back. That's where that section ends. Uh, they're telling the disciples what had happened on the road. Verse 36, Luke 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they had saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these words that you have given us in your scriptures. We pray that you will help us to better understand them and that you will help to open our minds through Pastor Bob this morning. We pray that you will guide him, lead him, and direct him in the words we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Three things from our passage this morning. First of all, the occasion of the conversation, secondly, the words of the conversation, and then thirdly, the confirmation of this confirmation. The occasion, well, I've kind of reiterated already the prior events. The resurrection has occurred. He has made several appearances already, including to the two men on the way to Emmaus. The place, secondly, are they in the upper room? We're not sure. Neither Luke nor does John, who also reports about this incident, actually tell us specifically that it is. 
It's generally accepted that that's probably where they were, but we have no real definitive answer. The one thing that John does add to this in John chapter 20, verse 19, is that the doors are locked. They have sealed themselves in. They have shut themselves in. They are seeking to provide protection for themselves as best they can. Now, the only place that we seem to know of that the disciples go on a regular basis in Jerusalem is the upper room. But once again, we don't know for sure. We do know that they are in a locked room. That's where this conversation takes place. Thirdly, the time. John 20 verse 19 tells us very specifically that it is the evening of the first day of the week, on the day that he rose. So this isn't the, the event that takes place eight days later. Lord willing, that will be next Lord's Day, but who knows what the weather in Michigan will do by then. So, but, but at this point, we're, we're on very solid ground of saying this conversation in Luke, which parallels that of John chapter 20, is taking place in a locked room on the evening of the first day of the week. These are Jesus' then first words that are coming. These are not like he's been around for 39 days having conversations. In fact, these are the first words to the church. Because here you have the disciples. Here you have the gathering. It has been done to individuals prior to this, but now on the evening of this first day of the week, on this evening of this Lord's Day, Christ comes to converse with his church. Well, what is the conversation? Well, there's a lot to it, okay, if you... If you happen to own a, a Bible that has uh, words of Jesus outlined in red rather than, than black, it's easy to see that in this passage, Jesus speaks a lot. But that which seems to be the crux are the very first words. Go back again and look at the text, verse 36. While they're talking about these things, that is, the things about the two men who have come back to Jerusalem and are reporting their conversation with Jesus and their situation and the fact that they recognized him when he broke the bread. They're talking about that. Jesus himself stood among them. Doesn't come through the door in the sense of unlocking the door. We don't know, you know, some people envision this, he walks through the door. Text doesn't really tell us that. It Text simply says, he stood amongst them. Suddenly, Jesus was there. And said to them, peace to you. What an amazing greeting. To bring to these ten men, the others who are gathered there, what an amazing greeting to the church of Jesus Christ. 
peace to you. Now let's spend some time unpacking what's going on here. First of all, this is not the first time Jesus has spoken of peace. Keep your finger here at Luke 24. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. <coughs> Go all the way to verse 25 of John chapter 14. Jesus again is speaking. We're in the upper room. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, now note back here in Luke now, chapter 24, what's going on. Jesus comes, says to them, peace to you. Their response is, they're startled and frightened. And Jesus utters, why are you troubled? Why are you afraid? Why are doubts in your heart? Do, do you see the connection? He's already told them about peace. He's already instructed them. And he's already told them that his peace is unique and distinct. It's not like that which the world gives. My peace. I give to you. So when he comes to these men and the other disciples gathered there that first Lord's Day evening, the first message to the church is peace. Peace. And the peace I'm giving to you is not the peace of the world. So first of all, note that this is a repetition. Secondly, we can't look past the idea that this is a greeting. Shalom. This is what you as Jewish people say to one another. When you greet one another, the greeting is shalom. That's the custom of the Jews. As you're walking down the street, you see somebody, you say shalom. They say shalom back. If it's a friend of yours, you stop, you have a conversation perhaps on the street there or in the market. You have your brief conversation or perhaps an extended conversation. And then as you leave, you say to one another, shalom. The other person responds, shalom. The idea is this. As you see someone coming towards you, you are the first to cry out, Shalom. I am at peace with you. We're okay. I harbor no ill feelings towards you. The person coming at you responds, Shalom as well. Meaning, I'm coming to you and greeting you in peace. We are okay. You have your conversation when you say shalom, when you leave, you say, 
in spite of that which we talked about, although it might have been difficult, it might not have been an easy conversation, you still utter your shalom, I am at peace. Now, if you're walking down the street, somebody says shalom to you and you go, I can't stand that guy. You turn the other way. You walk right past them. That individual now knows that that person has something against you. What did Jesus say? If you come to the altar and you know that your brother has something against you, first go and be reconciled to your brother. See, how would you know that? How would you know if somebody else really has something against you? Because when you passed, there was no shalom. There was no peace. There was no exchange. They demonstrated it by refusing to say their shalom. But you know what happens, right? With all customs, things eventually become habitual and they lose their custom. So sooner or later, you're walking around, it's just, yeah, shalom, 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 shalom. And you're not even thinking about it anymore. You're just saying it. It's just an expression. For example, how many of you regularly say goodbye to people when you are parting from them? How many of you regularly say goodbye? Goodbye. See you later. On the telephone, phone, whatever. Goodbye now. Okay. Do you know what you're saying? Do you have any clue what that word means? Probably the vast majority don't. It means God be with you. I didn't know I was saying that. Oh, yeah, see, it, it just becomes an expression. It becomes a shortened. We don't even want to take the time, you see, anymore to say, God be with you or God bless you. It's just goodbye. Makes it short, convenient. I really don't have to think. Do I, am I really saying goodbye? Do I really mean that? No? You, you probably all can think of circumstances in which the phone has been slammed down to the final word, goodbye. Now think about that. person is angry, the person is upset with you perhaps, or perhaps it was you to them, and you're saying in, in an angry tone, well, God be with you, God bless you. And you're like, I don't think that fits. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. So the words simply become a custom and a habit lacking their meaning. In the time of Jesus, that greeting of shalom, although we look at it and go, wow, that, that's pretty interesting, that's pretty has just become a custom. Jesus comes to his church. Shalom. Not as the world gives. Well, what does that mean, not as the world gives? Well, I'm not just greeting you out of custom, out of superstition, out of habit. I'm not just coming to you and appearing to you and saying, oh, what's, what's the greeting I'm supposed to start with? Oh, yes, shalom. Now, that would be the way the world gives. 
without thought, without meaning. But this, this you see is coming with all the meaning that the word means. Peace. Now think of what it meant in the Jewish context. I am coming to you and I harbor no ill feelings to you. Now who's speaking? Who speaks those words? Peace to you. It's Jesus. Does Jesus have reason to harbor some ill feelings? As he looks at Peter, does he, does he have some reason to be able to harbor some ill feelings against Peter who has denied him? Does he have some reason and some cause to harbor some ill feelings towards the other nine who all left, who all forsook, who all fled him in his time of need? And you know what else? They've even already, since his resurrection, been disobedient to him. You say, what do you mean? Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. Where are they supposed to be? In Galilee. Remember Jesus' words to the women? Tell them to meet me in Galilee. Did they go? No, they're holed up in Jerusalem. See, you and I probably would have walked in the room and said, okay, first of all, where were you guys? Peter, don't snicker. I know what you did. And how come you didn't look? Why are you here? Can't you even follow the simple direction of going to Galilee? Jesus enters the room. I harbor no ill feelings towards you. Peace. See, not as the world gives, do I give. This is not the, the way the world conducts itself. I'm coming to you. It's okay. You know, probably most of us think that the response of the disciples is because Jesus is suddenly there. Oh, I, I, we have to factor that in. But don't miss the point that it's Jesus. What's he going to do to us? Nothing. Peace. Not as the world gives. But there's more to it than just that. This greeting of Jesus, this conversation, see, is not initiated by the disciples, is it? Now, this is a conversation initiated by Christ. For only Christ can give a peace that the world cannot give. Three passages. First one, Romans chapter 5, 1. See, Jesus is bringing to them more than just a greeting of peace. 
more is happening here. More is taking place. More is going on. This isn't just a, a nice custom that we're seeing being fulfilled. Oh, we're seeing that, and we ought to marvel at that. But Jesus is giving peace more than what the world does. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he is bringing them. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has finished and completed the work of salvation and redemption, the one who not only fulfilled all the demands of God's justice, but now has been raised as the confirmation of that, has brought to them peace. Not just a peace in the human plane between himself and these disciples and their very strained relationship, but he's brought to them a piece of a vertical, of a spiritual dimension. When Christ stands there in that room and says to them, peace to you, this is Christ's word of victory to the church of Jesus Christ. Not just to those ten men or however many people were in that upper room that night. This is Christ's word of victory to you and to me. Peace. Peace. Not the kind of peace of the world. Not the kind of peace on this horizontal plane. But a peace of enormous proportion. A peace that comes between ourselves and God. The price has been paid. Sin has been wiped away. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Peace. Church of Jesus Christ, the victor's cry is not it is finished. The victor's cry is peace. Second passage. Ephesians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 2. Pick it up at verse 13. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. 
who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. His greeting to the church is peace. Not division. Not separation. But unity. A oneness. A singleness. Breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. Now in Ephesians 2... Paul is speaking specifically of the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. Christ came and he smashed down that wall. He broke it down. So that both Jews and Gentiles are part of his body, the body of Christ. But it is symbolic of the fact that Christ breaks down all those dividing walls. The one constant plea is to be one. That's the constant plea to the church. Why? Because Christ broke down dividing walls. So that, as Paul wrote in Galatians, there is no more distinctions in terms of our salvation in Christ. He himself is our peace. I'm going to give you a peace that the world cannot give. Because I'm going to give you myself. I myself will be the peace. Third passage. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Think about it this way. The peace of God, grace. Goes beyond my understanding. I don't know why God chose a sinner such as me. But this peace of God, this fact that, that God can come and look at Bob Van Manen and on a Sunday morning greets me with peace. It's okay between you and me, Bob. And the last thing he does on a Sunday night is he says, Bob, you can go into this world in this week because even though we've spent this time together, and man, I've read your mind, I've read your heart, I've read your soul, I know your sin, it's okay, Bob. You can go in peace. We're okay with one another. Because of Christ. Because of what Christ has done. See, in the morning when you come to worship, that's what you receive, that peace. 
and you leave at night, that's what you receive. God's welcome, God's parting. Peace, shalom, we're okay. Not because of who you are or because of what you have done, but because of Christ. He himself is our peace. 4 verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, he gives that which the world cannot give. The world can only give temporary, fleeting peace until the next bomb falls, until the next tweet comes, until the next uprising in Afghanistan until the next phone call until the next email I give a peace not like the world gives I give a peace what that is secure that is eternal that is guarded Psalm 48 as God guards his church as God guards Zion, so God guards his people, his church. The peace of God. The fact that God can say to you and I, it's okay. We're all right. Is that holds us and guards us and keeps us in faith regardless of that which happens in life. What did Luke say? They fear and they tremble. They have this wonderful news. They're still sinful people. Four confirmations are then given to the conversation. Our time is fleeting, so I'll go through these rather quickly. Four confirmations. One, he confirms the peace by his body. See, that's what his testimony, that's what his call, that's what his offer is. See the stigmata. It's me. You're not seeing a spirit. This is me. It's really me who's coming to you and bringing to you this peace. This peace. Bring me some fish. Let me show you I can eat. Let me show you I'm not just a ghost. I'm not just a, some sort of thought in your mind, I'm really here. I'm physically raised from the dead. That confirms the fact that I'm the one who can bring you peace. Secondly, the words. He quotes scripture. He quotes scripture and shows them from the law, from the prophets, from the Psalms that he, that he has fulfilled it all. He confirms it by the truth of his word. Thirdly, he confirms it by a work. 
We'll come back to this next Lord's Day, so I, I don't need to spend a great deal of time on it. But look at Luke 24 again. He showed him his hands and feet. Verse 41. And while they still disbelieved, he gives, takes the fish. Then he gives the words. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. John says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. There we have it again, folks. The unmistakable truth that you can be standing in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, but unless the Holy Spirit opens your mind, you will not believe. You can never will yourself, you can never reason yourself, you can never think yourself into Christianity. Let me rephrase that. You can never will this peace. You can never reason this peace. You can never think this peace into your life. The only way this peace, this peace of Christ, can come into one's heart and one's life is when the Holy Spirit opens our minds to the truth. So Jesus tells him, now wait here. Now wait here. Stay here. Don't leave the city until I bestow on you the fullness of the spirit that I have given to you. Thanks be to God, they obeyed. Thanks be to God for the peace Christ. And God's people say, Father, thank you again for your word. What a beautiful reminder this morning of peace. Not the peace of the world, but your peace. Father, there may have been those who are here this morning whose hearts are unsettled, hearts are unnerved, perhaps because of circumstances in their life. Because of past events. But Father, here, here's the glorious truth. For all who are in Christ. Peace. Peace from God the Father. Peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And peace from the Holy Spirit. Abides with us all. In His name, God's people say, Amen.